Howdy, hey, everybody. Good to be back. We are here for another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast with, a, of course, my good friend, uh, Scott Lease, uh, dialing in from Austin, and a super great, great friend of mine, Lindsay Boggs. Um, if you don't know Lindsay, she shot free throws with Shaquille O'Neal. Scott, I don't even know if you know that story. Um, <laughs> What's that? She's probably, she's probably did not know that, but she's probably better than him at free throws. Yes. So, um, so she's got a that going for her. It's on YouTube, by the way. It's fascinating. I think you raised some money for a charity, right, Lindsay? We did. Yes. Twenty so, grand. Yeah, that's great. So, Lindsay, by the way, thank you for coming on the show. We're excited to have you. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Likewise. So, I, I want to get started with. You know, a lot of people know you as this social selling queen. You cracked this code, what, four or five years ago, um, mm -hmm. you know, along with some other people who are, who are sort of seen as the, probably some of the early innovators and early adopters of this strategy. Um, just, just before we even get into how you decided to figure that out or what made you decide to figure that out, talk to us a little bit about your, your origin story. Like, where did Lindsay Boggs, you know, come from in terms of doing sales? What made you decide you wanted to be sales? Sure. Great question. So I originally majored in classical music and that didn't quite go as I hoped when I graduated. So I decided that I wanted to do something different. And I had always been told by a lot of different people that I'd be good in sales, but I didn't really know what that meant. And so I decided to meet and network with a couple different folks. And there was a girl there named Mandy. Hey, Mandy. And she came strutting in with her stuff and she had all this nice stuff on her and I said, what do you do, Mandy? And she said, I'm in software sales. And I said, well, that looks enticing. Um, how do I do that? And she said, well, I have a referral and I've got some people that I can set you up with. And um, there's a company hiring and I can try to get you an interview and I can kind of give you the spiel of what they're looking for to be an SDR. And I said, what's an SDR? And what do I need to do to be an SDR? And she kind of told me to read the book Spin Selling. And so I'll never forget, I read that book and I crushed the interview and the rest is history. So go back to what kind of music were you focused on? What was your career? Opera. Ah. This is like, you're like the third person we've talked to in the, la in the last like couple of weeks that had like a classical background in music and opera, Claire, Julie Mann, and now Lindsay. Yes. Do you know, do you know, do you know Julie Mann at Optimizely? Mm -hmm. No, she, you should, well, I just think you uh, clearly with the musical background and both being, you know, powerful women in sales, I think you guys would enjoy getting to know each other. Um, yeah. you, you, you said it didn't go as planned. What, what is, what does that mean? Do you mean like you just graduated and you're like, well, how am I supposed to get a job? Or like you took the music career as far as it could go and then just kind of went a different direction. What does that mean? Well, the first day of college, I fell in love with my now husband. Oh. So I kind of yeah. got distracted in college and I didn't practice as much as I should have. And I should have gone to get a master's degree in music uh, in New York. And at the time I got engaged the day before my senior recital and I should have gone to New York to get my master's. And instead I followed my husband to Dallas for him to get a master's degree in classical music. And I needed to pay my bills, I needed to pay my health insurance, and I needed enough money to buy craft beer. So I got a job as a, an executive assistant to a VP of real estate at FedEx office. And so I was an EA for five years. And that whole time, I knew I didn't want to be doing this, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. 
And so that whole time people were like, you'd be really good in sales. And I thought that was derogatory. I didn't know what that meant because there's so, such a stereotype of sales out there that I was like, you know, I, I didn't know what that meant. And so when I finally saw this woman, Mandy, and I could see sales from a different angle, I said, that's different. I want to know more about that kind of sales. And so that's so what was intriguing to me. You, you said she had nice stuff and this is not about, not about sort of commercializing sales or, or mm -hmm. those things, but that is, there is value. I mean, there is a reason for people who are motivated by that. So was she like carrying around the Louis Vuitton bag and you're like, wait a minute, I want one of those. Or what was this stuff that you saw? Was it her personality, her persona? Was it? What well, was she had nice stuff, but also it was the, the way by which she was carrying herself. She was very confident. She had her own work schedule. That was one thing that was interesting to me. Um, she had the opportunity to go to speaking engagements, which was something that being an opera singer, I had the stage presence and I wanted to be a public speaker as well. And she had just a lot of opportunities knocking at her doorstep all the time. And so that was something that was very intriguing to me. And I wanted to learn how to serve a customer. I wanted to learn how to talk to a lot of different people and sales was the ticket. I just didn't know that until I saw her point of view until she gave me the opportunity to learn more about sales because I had just learned of sales in a totally different scope with, with her lens essentially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, so, so you, you know, you, you took her advice, read this book. Can you, can you mention the name of the company that, that, that you crushed the interview with? Yeah, it was Bronto Software, which is not Oracle. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, and um, and so what? So, as an SDR, what was? So, how long ago was this? Five years ago? Six years ago? This was twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. So, almost eight years ago, or eight years ago, mm -hmm. when you first started doing SDR work, right? Because that's right, right around. It's right after Predictable Revenue came out by Aaron. It's right when SDRs finally got popular, right? Yeah, beginning <laughs> of the SDR movement. So what was your day like? What was your day like in 2012, you know, early on SDR, before you sort of figured it out a little bit? Like what, was it 100 dials a day? Was it that crazy shit? Or what was it? Yeah, it was probably 60 dials a day. They were emailing, but the emails were emails that were sent through Marketo with marketing content. And I remember that we had to select the email that we wanted to send for marketing. And I remember thinking that was odd. I was like, and there were the alligator emails, like, were you eaten by an alligator? And I remember thinking, I wouldn't send that. Would I, would I respond to that? No. Right. And I thought that was odd. And so I remember doing what I was told, looking around me and I had a target on my back. And this is something that I don't usually share publicly, but I'm going to go there anyway. I had a target on my back because I was 27. And I had a child. I still have her, by the way. And um, <laughs> you haven't lost her in Sears or anything. You no, know. I still have her. She's and, still 27 also. <laughs> yeah, I'm still 27. Yeah. And I had a husband, still have him. And um, I was older, right? The other SDRs were right out of college. So, and I was more mature and I had a target on my back. And I didn't have any friends. And I can't believe I'm sharing this. And that's all great. So I was looking around and no one was really hitting their numbers. And I remember looking at the content and I was like, I'm not like comfortable sending this, but I'm going to do it because I'm doing what I'm told. Right. But then like the second week I saw my name in red because she had everything color coded and I don't like my name in red. Right. And so the next week I'll never forget 
there was a guy in Texas named Jeff and he called me on the phone and he said, Hey Boggs, you know, a lot of executives in Dallas. Why? And I said, why do you know that? And he said, I was on LinkedIn and I saw that, you know, a lot of executives in Dallas. And I said, well, yeah, I used to work for an executive in Dallas. Um, and I used to hang out with other executives because when you're an executive in Dallas, you know, a lot of executives. And so on LinkedIn, I knew the C-suite of JC Penney. I knew the C-suite of Neiman Marcus. I knew the C-suite of, um, Michael's arts and crafts. And so he said, well, call them. And I said, okay, let me look in Salesforce. So I went in Salesforce. And I went on LinkedIn and then boom, my life changed. So that's when I started transitioning everything from Salesforce to LinkedIn. And I started sending messages in LinkedIn. And that's when my whole, my whole career changed instantly. That week I set up 10 meetings using LinkedIn. And then I started, my name went from red to yellow to green, like literally from Monday to what, to Thursday, I was the number one and I stayed there. And then I really had no friends. And then <laughs> is, have, did the types of messages change? But, so let me, let me rephrase the types of messages that you were sending then, mm -hmm. would you look back on them and send them again now? Have, have they evolved completely? Or are they really different? They're or not super them? different. I mean, some of them are, some of them were just that the fact that I knew them, right? So those are not going to change. I would send the same time a message because I know them. Some of them were more around mutual connections, which I would send the same today. Mutual connections, would you be open to connecting because I have a referral and the referral's name is this person and what have you, and I would ask that referral for using their name. I would still send the same type of message today. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of them are something I would still send today and they still work today. So, but yeah. Go ahead. So so that's that works right like you know the fact that you had all these people so you ran through that list in dallas then what what did you yeah. figure out because at some point that well does go dry and we certainly sure. should take it so then how did you figure out what to do differently from that because yeah. of that experience so then i had an epic fail which i can share real quick then i had an epic fail then i decided well if LinkedIn is working so well, I'm going to start adding all the leads that are coming in on LinkedIn at random. So I'm going to start adding them and clicking connect, clicking connect, clicking connect, then sending all these messages. And then I did that so much that LinkedIn blocked me and blocked my account. So LinkedIn jail. I went to LinkedIn jail. I highly recommend do not use that method because you will go to LinkedIn jail. It was the worst week of my life. Right. And um, so don't do that. Any SCRs out there thinking that's clever, don't do that. You can go to LinkedIn jail. But what I did do is I started using the second degree filter and figuring out who my secondary connections were and seeing if my mutual connection had a good intro for me to get there. So that was kind of my aha moment to figure out who those mutual connections were to get me there as an introduction. But that was really my aha moment that week, figuring out and then I was just doing my thing on the side, climbing, 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 climbing. And I was the first SDR to ever make President's Club that first year. So what, so first of all, how long were you in LinkedIn jail? Cause I've been in LinkedIn jail and I had to, you know, email somebody. You know, it was during. about four days of the longest days ever. Oh yeah. It's terrible. I've, I've had it and it's now it's like, it can be months. It literally is like they, and they also have it on an auto reset at the beginning of the year. Like it's terrible if you can't figure it I out. Think, I think if you went to LinkedIn jail for months now, like your business would just die. die. Like, 
Like you, yeah. I don't, can you even, can you even last four months without LinkedIn? I, there, there's I no way that, that I could. I think you just go create another profile and start over. <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Yeah. 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 So, so when you were, when you made that transition, what kind of messages to those second degree connections? And I'm all about the referral, right? What, mm -hmm. what kind of, and I want to, we're trying to give people some advice, right? So let's yeah. say, Hey, they want to go to their second degree connections, then see if their first degree connections are really know them. What do you ask your first degree connection? How do you do that? Because I think sometimes people will think, oh my God, I'm going to burden somebody with this special request, right? Like we sort of become our own worst enemy, right? Yeah. Um, what kind of, how do you ask for that support? Yeah, it totally depends on how well you are connected with your first degree connection. So if it's somebody like you, Richard, I would send you a text and ask you how well you know Scott. And I would just say, hey, hey, what's your relationship with Scott? Would you feel comfortable giving me an introduction to Scott? I'm really trying to book a meeting with him. And I think he'd be really valuable to have this, <clears throat> excuse me, to have this meeting because we're trying to accomplish X, Y, Z. But if you're not, if you're just a person on my LinkedIn that friended me or connected with me and I don't really know you that well, that's where you have to be really strategic in how you ask that person. And that's where you have to be creative. <laughs> so, cause I have a lot of people adding me on LinkedIn and right now I'm at the place where I have to be really careful with how many people I'm adding back because I'm at the threshold where I need to be, you know, yeah. I can't start adding everyone back. So, um, with those folks, you just have to be strategic in how you ask them. So for those yeah. folks, I usually say something like, Hey John, I know that we've been connected for a while on here. Um, I don't know how well you know James, but I'm trying to get in touch with him. What's your relationship like out of curiosity? And I'd be happy to repay the favor with any of my network as well. I'm trying to get a meeting with him and was wondering what your relationship is like. Um, I'm looking to book a meeting because I think we could provide XYZ value. Thanks so much for the, thanks so much for the favor. And you also, you also say, Hey, I'll do it back for you. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So that, mm -hmm. that's the key piece is like, Hey, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I, and I've done that and I'm, I'm glad to hear you suggesting that too. And I think that's a, a great takeaway for SDRs and, and uh, sales leaders to take to their team. Mm -hmm. So, so you went to Bronto for a while, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, when did you, like when you were in sales, when did you finally go, Oh my God, where have you been all my life? First week. First week. First what? week when I was at the very bottom. Why, why the first week? Like, what about that made you still go, this is where I want to be? Competition. Okay. Because okay. the first, and I've, I've done the strength finder assessment, and one of my top five strengths is competition. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yep. So, so tell people, where are you now? So now I'm at Citrix, and I'm a sales manager, and I manage SDRs. So many, it's like full circle. Uh, right now, there's seven. Seven? Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. And are you, I know you're in North Carolina, right? I am. Right. Mm -hmm. So is your team, are your SDRs remote or do you guys go to the office? Uh, right now they're in Raleigh. Yes. Uh, last year I had two that were remote in Fort Lauderdale. So okay. um, I also do recruiting for our university program. So um, tomorrow I'm, or Wednesday I'm going to Tallahassee. Next week I'm going to Toledo. So I travel a little bit, right. which is exciting, but it's great to get out there and go to sales competitions like I go to, but it's a lot of fun. Cool. What are you, what are you seeing out of, out of the, out of the students, right? Like, what are you looking for? You go to a student, you know, maybe they've had a little bit of a sales job, you know, maybe some mm -hmm. retail or something. What are the things that you look for? Cause this is a big topic about recruiting and with the job 
job placement. I mean, with the unemployment so low, you don't really know a lot with students, right? Um, you know, they may not, I mean, look, they're 22, 23-ish, like who knows what they want to do at that age. What are the things you look for in, in someone to kind of go, I think that might be the right fit? Follow-up. Okay. Tell with us more. Follow-up with me. Yeah, I look for follow-up. So if they can't follow up with me after the competition, how am I going to know they're going to follow up with their prospects? So I look for follow-up. I give everyone um, my LinkedIn. Obviously, we do the QR code scanning when I go to the competitions. Um, some of them ask for my cell. I give it to them. And I want to know if they follow up with me. They've, some of them have been really good about following up with me on my cell or LinkedIn. And we just hired three of them that followed up with me really well after the sales competitions. They started last Monday. And that's, that's a really good indicator. But also at the sales competitions, I look for um, specific key attributes during the sales competition, like their um, preparation, their, um, you know, having mentors. Um, PSC is a really big thing. So Pi Sigma Epsilon fraternity, a lot of them are in those um, fraternities. And those are really, really excellent to be a part of. What are the competitions? What are those like? They're great. So I'm usually a buyer or a judge. Uh, for this one, on um, this week, I'm a judge. And it's great. It's great. It's so good to see. But is this, is this put on by the school? Like these are schools that actually have majors in sales? Yeah. Mm -hmm. now it's a, okay, so those are the schools that have majors. And they build out this thing and then they bring people like you and I assume a whole bunch of other people. Yes. Come and what, try. Are they, what are they trying to, what are they selling or what are they pitching? Is it like their own business idea? Like entrepreneur? Yeah. So, so for the one I went to a couple months ago, enterprise was one of the, was the buyer and enterprise had a, um, a scenario that, that they came up with. So, so this is actually put on by maybe a company. Yeah. Also. Mm -hmm. So the company comes in and says, Hey, we want to run your students through our sales Yep. competition then they yep. bring in people like you and mm -hmm. so then is enterprise also trying to recruit these these folks yep. and then they have other companies come in and sponsor as well yes oh wow that's really cool i know i'd never heard of that that's awesome yeah that's really that's really fun. cool mm -hmm. uh, didn't exist that way for us <laughs> it, was, it was here sell me this pin you know <laughs> scott how many pins did you ever sell zero Zero. I, I would just take the pin and break it and go, great. It looks like you need a pin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I never got asked that question, I don't think. If I did, I've blocked it out. And I never did either. Entirely. I'm lucky. So, so as we're talking about hiring and skill set, and, and then I'll shut up and let Scott ask some questions. When you do interview a person, right, when you are interviewing someone for an SDR role, what kind of questions do you like to ask them? What kind of things could we give back to, to other people so they can do better too? Yeah, I think some of my favorite questions are, what's the toughest feedback you've ever received? And what behavior changed from that? It's mm, a good question. That's a great, yeah. I'm literally writing that down. That's one of my favorite questions. And um, my other favorite question is, tell me a time when morale was really low and what did you do to contribute getting morale back to a positive state? I would love to hear some different answers that people have given to that. Yeah. Yeah. So the first question, the toughest feedback they've ever received, I recently got one that the person um, <laughs> was too loud on the phone and it was distracting a lot of people. So 
they worked in a conference room for a week trying to lower their tone and it worked. And now they walk around their desk a little bit more because I think when they were confined to their desk, they just had to feel like they were taught, they had to talk louder to communicate. And now they're not as loud. Um, some other tough feedback that people have been given was that, oh gosh, I should have come prepared with this. Um, what about the morale one? I'm, I'm really keen to learn about the morale one. What have you? Oh yeah. So low, what have you done to contribute to lifting morale? One person, one person actually took some of the bottom performers out to coffee and they just got to know them more on a personal level. The bottom performers were kind of bringing down the, the morale of the team and they took them out to coffee and got to know them a little bit better on the personal level and just asked, you know, how can I help you with your job? There are things that I can do on a daily basis to help you. What are they? What, what do you see in my key attributes that I deliver to the business every day that you're missing that I can help you with? And that really helped. So good. that's good. And then my favorite question that I ask at the very end is why shouldn't I hire you? And everyone is always like, deer in headlights. <laughs> really? Yeah. People don't have a good response to that, huh? Never. I've never had a good response to that one. What would you consider to be a good response? I have like five responses firing off. I don't mind. have a good response to that. I just want to know how they handle the Scott, question. How would you answer it? I want to hear Scott's answer to this. Yeah. He's good at why, this. Why, why wouldn't you hire me? You wouldn't hire me, number one, because I would be frustrated with the speed of execution in a huge megacorp like Citrix. So turning around an aircraft carrier in a, in a garage doesn't really work for me. Um, I don't. I want to work someplace that has 52 layers of leadership and it's going to be really difficult for me to advance in-house all the way to the top and that's what I'm looking to do. Um, so that, that wouldn't really work for me. You might not want to work for me because early in my career when I didn't have a good sales manager, I found a way to replace them and ended up taking their job. And so you might be threatened by, by that. There's three right there. I just, I just rattled off. Well, I mean, those, but, might not, those might not, those might actually get me not hired, you know, but you're also yeah, well, the question is why shouldn't I hire you? So yeah, you shouldn't hire me because of, because of those things. I wouldn't yeah. be, a, I wouldn't be a lifer at, at Citrix. Maybe it yes. is, is one way. Yes. Right? If yeah. you're not good at your job, you shouldn't hire me because I might end up taking your job. <laughs> Scott, it's got Scott. I've seen Scott do that and he's right when he does it, but it's, it's interesting to see that, that play out. What, um, what are some of the advantages? What do you like about working for a big company like, like a Bronto that got, you know, swallowed by Oracle? Bronto was small when you were there, right? Yeah. So when I was at Bronto, it was a startup. So okay. yeah, it was a startup. So I did startup life. The only other corporation I've worked for, a big corporation is FedEx when I was right out of college. And then now I'm back at big corporations. So um, there's, there are pros and cons to startups and big corporations. Um, you know, it's different, right? There's high risk, high reward at startups that, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to both. What I like about Citrix, what I like about big corporations is that there's stability. I like actually getting dressed and going to work. Um, the first three months, I didn't know if I was going to make it because I worked from home for five years before that. And I was in the field doing field sales. I was on a plane almost every day. Richard, you know that life. Um, Scott, you probably do too, right? 
So uh, I've, I've done a lot of it. I'm getting away from it more and more now, which is great. Yeah. yeah. So um, I like, I like the idea of going to somebody's desk and asking a question versus waiting for a slack that could go unanswered for God knows how long. I like the uh, collaboration in the office. And I like that there is a more clear cut career path in corporate America. It's not so um, ambiguous in startup land, but I also like startup land because you can create, create jobs out of thin air also. Um, that was kind of fun in startup land and things could get done quicker in startup land as well. There's not so many um, layers of approvals that you have to go through to get things done. So there's just pros and cons to both, but I'm really happy um, in, in corporate world in, in uh, Citrix right now. I love, I, love how startup, I love how startup is a land and corporate is a world. <laughs> yes, it just became. Yeah. <laughs> what, Richard, are you aware of, of, the, of the back the backstory here? So um, I, I went to college in, in Marin County and played college tennis. And one of my teammates was a guy named Tony Marshall. And Tony Marshall ended up working for Richard. And then Tony Marshall went to Bronto and Lindsay became Tony Marshall's SDR. And yeah. I met Richard through, through Tony when Richard was looking for a job. It's a small, small right. world. The, the, the LinkedIn community is making it, I think, easier to have those kind of stories. But this was all pre-LinkedIn, at least. For yeah. So, yeah. Lindsay, here's a funny thing. Tony had a job with me. We only tell the story occasionally. Tony had a job with me in sales. And he's like, hey, I know this guy, Scott Lease. You should talk to him. He'd be good in sales. Apparently, I interviewed Scott. I don't even know if it was face-to-face -face or on the phone. And, uh, and apparently, I was like, no, this guy's got no skills. He's got no background and no need to come work for us in sales. So I ended up not hiring Scott. And then, of course, seven years later, I'm like, you know, Scott, Thank we need me a job. job. But, <laughs> but, the, but the funny thing is, Scott, we didn't remember that story. Neither one of us when I was interviewing with you. No, no, That's I didn't so remember funny. it either. So clearly, neither one of us made much of an impression on each other. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Talk, uh, talk to us a little bit about your, uh, your mission with, with Uncrushed. I want to make sure that that yeah. gets Thank uh, you. Started. Yeah, so um, I co-founded a nonprofit called Uncrushed, and it really stemmed from the loss of my sister that happened in um, 2016. My sister passed away from a brain aneurysm and I pretty much lost a lot that year and I had a nervous breakdown. I took time off from work. My whole life came crashing down and um, in parallel, I have a really good friend, Tim Clark and Janelle Kronk and we all just kind of assembled um, and had a friendship that just will never be broken and we, formed a nonprofit around mental health, breaking the stigma of mental health. And um, Richard is now part of it on the board. And we try to help people out there and that are, that are going through depression, anxiety, um, addiction, and try to tell their stories um, quite simply. And um, we've gotten a lot of volunteers to come together and on a mission just to break the stigma of mental health. And we've done a lot of great things and we've had a lot of podcasts around people's stories shared a lot of stories, we've got on the road, we've gone to a lot of different corporations to um, spread the awareness of mental health and I'm really proud of it. So, yeah. Richard, anything you wanna add? 
You're on mute, Richard. Yeah, I know. Is, um, no, I would, I would, I would add that I'm just grateful that Lindsay came along and we sort of ran into each other. I remember when Lindsay first wrote her post, her vulnerable, vulnerable post years ago. Um, I knew who she was. I knew who you were. And I emailed you and I just said, hey, you know, uh, thanks for sharing this. I've struggled with my own challenges around depression and, you know, appreciate your vulnerability. Um, and if there's ever something I can do, please let me know. I was not sort of seeking like, oh, my God, we need to be best be besties or anything. It was just like some support. Um, and I remember I remember that like the thing that stuck out to me on that post wasn't the story that you told about what had happened, but it was the part where you said, I've been sitting here in front of my computer for hours deciding whether I'm going to publish this post because that's what it feels like to share the story. The story is the story is the story, but it's how willing is someone to be accepting of themselves to say, I need to do this. Um, that's what really struck a chord with me as much as the story did. I mean, I'm, just, I'm not poo-pooing the story, but so I know what that feels like and what that felt like. So that was a big piece for me to, to connect with her. Um, and then, you know, just the uncrushed thing is great. Like there's a ton of resources on uncrushed.org. Um, if you know someone, if you yourself are struggling or maybe you don't, you know, look, we've got people sharing stories about my depression. I know there's someone who's talked about, uh, there's a, there's a woman who's been very open about her eating disorder as an adult, not as a, as a teenager, where oftentimes we think of these things occurring and, you know, she was a mother and, you know, some issues, you know, she lost her husband on, you know, it, it just, all these stories are there. So the people are not alone. That's what I want people to know is you're not what, alone. What, what are, what are some things that leaders in, in companies can do to, you know, kind of break down the stigma of mental health and, and be more supportive um, for their employees who might be going through, you know, some of these issues. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes HR has programs that they're that are at their disposal that they don't even know about. So I think a lot of things is just educating themselves on the programs available to them, but also how to talk to their employees, um, getting educated on that based on their HR programs that they have, and um, just being aware of what's going on in their employees' lives as much as they're willing to share. And, um, you know, just education, really, and reading up on what we're posting, because there are ways to talk to employees that are, you know, the HR way, but also um, the resources that we have have a lot of stats on there as well, because it's, it's becoming an epidemic in our society. Yeah, I'd, I'd go so far to say it is an epidemic. Um, and it, and it, what's interesting is that um, it's going to have to be addressed. Sort of the legal HR part of this is going to go away because as the boomers and the Gen Xers retire, you know, it's the millennials and the Gen Xers who are coming along where, look, they're posting about their issues on Instagram and Snapchat and whatever. Like, they're very social about these things. And it's super healthy, right? Like, it's healthy to do that, I hope. Um, I'm sure there's somebody not doing it the right way, but but it's healthy and we need to talk about it. I actually just spoke at the AAISP um, Leadership Summit last week on this topic. Um, and here were some thoughts that we gave to people was one, mental health is not mental illness because someone says they have a mental health issue or I'm struggling mentally. It doesn't mean they're, they're, they're going to go harm themselves or someone else. Mental health is just like your physical health. What do you do to stay healthy physically and mentally and emotionally? And when you sort of break it down like that, people, you see light bulbs go off of like, Oh, now I got it. 
And, you know, as a leader, as a manager, you know, sometimes it's as simple as just sort of noticing, you know, hey, Scott, you okay, man? You, 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 look, you look a little down. You want to go for a walk? You want to just mm-hmm. go talk about whatever? Doesn't have to be anything, you know? And that is a total appropriate way to handle this, right? It's not, hey, I think you have a problem and we need to do an intervention. And I think mm-hmm. we, we think that's what we're supposed to do or, you know, enough TV shows and movies have said that's what you do. When in fact, all someone might need is, hey, you doing okay? You, you look a little stressed today. You look a little, you know, something going on. I think I think I think an important distinction is that too often people in leadership think that it's their responsibility to try to fix the person or fix the the problem. You're not you're not there to fix anything. You're just there to be supportive, and I think that's that's a big challenge. Um, yep. Unfortunately, right? Just because somebody has something going on, it's not up to you to go fix it for them, but just hear them out and, and, and be there for them and, and support them in whatever way that they might need. Yep. I, re- I remember one time, Scott, I was working for you and, and you even came to me and you said, are you okay? You're, you're sitting over there next to the people and you just look, you know, down, like even Ben, I think Ben had even said something to you like, Hey, what's up with Richard? And y'all had just sort of been able to see on my face that I was not happy. Um, and that meant a lot, like that meant a lot that you just sort of took a moment to ask. Um, I also think managers get fearful because they're afraid they're going to get unloaded on, right? That they're going to be like, I never understood that part. I never understood that part. I always saw my responsibility as somebody to be unloaded upon. Like that's, that's Mm -hmm. what I'm there for. Like I'm supposed to be the place where you can come to and just unload all this shit and vent and let it out. And I'm just supposed to sit here and be like, okay, like tell me, tell me more. You know, what do you, what, what are you thinking about doing with it? And I'm just asking questions and letting people come to their own kind of conclusions and decisions. I never understood that mentality. And I've worked with people before who had a very hard line and they were like, I don't want to talk about your personal shit. Right. And I just like, wait, what, what are you, what are you there for then? I think people get scared though, because in corporate America, you get worried that you're not allowed to talk about certain things. And that's why I think that's why it's important in corporate America that you, you follow the EAP program that they might have in place. God bless early stage startups. Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) Reason number four, reason number four, you will not hire me. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, so Lindsay, how do you, you know, you, you, I want to sort of pull this out a little bit, right? Um, Your mom, you're a working mm-hmm. mom. You've got a working husband who has the coolest job in the world. We won't tell anybody till later if you want to. Um, but sure. so uh, her, her husband um, is a, is a coder for Fortnite. So um, you know, and no, she cannot get you V bucks. She can't even get no, her. I don't want that. I, I have a bone to pick with her, her husband. <laughs> so are you letting the boys play it now, Scott? Fuck no, okay. absolutely not. <laughs> Emphatic. Fuck no, explicit on this podcast. Fuck no, no Fortnite. Sorry, Lindsay's husband. What, okay. what, what if they go to a friend's house? I can't control that. Okay. Have they played it? I, w- I would like to not comment on that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I hope the answer is no. <laughs> See, Lindsay, I told you it wasn't going to, we weren't going to make you uncomfortable. Oh, My job is to make Scott uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm squirming. The whole I'll Fortnite. go ahead. So, so you, so, you know, so clearly he's, you know, that's, that's a, an awesome job, but mm-hmm. I can assume there's some demand 
and, and mm -hmm. time demands around that. Your mm -hmm. corporate sales, time demand, um, you focus a lot on staying healthy. How mm -hmm. do you create that healthy balance for you? Like what is Lindsay's program? Because, you know, what, what do you do? Yeah, so I had a rebranding of myself in December. Uh, it started December 8th. I took a mental health break and I got away and I went to Boone, North Carolina and I went to a program called The Art of Living and I learned how to meditate and it completely transformed my life. Um, I was getting into an unhealthy state of mind back last year, to be completely candid with everybody. I was not practicing what I preached completely. I was doing okay, but I think that people can get into spirals of bad habits again, and I was getting there. I wasn't completely bad where I was in 2016, but I was getting to a point where I was getting into unhealthy habits again, like working too much, and I had another death in the family, which triggers me a lot when I have a death in the family, and I needed to get away. So I went away and I went to this meditation retreat and I learned meditation and I learned the um, art of happiness. And I am a completely changed person as of December 8th. I have given up um, alcohol and I've given up Starbucks, which is not good for my weight management <laughs> um, and my bank account. It saves me $8.11 a day. And I have just been practicing mindfulness. I meditate every morning. I made a meditation room in my house. The Japanese flooring was already in my house. When we moved into my house, I put a rug over it and we made it a completely different room. And then when I came back from my meditation retreat, I removed the rug, got all of our crap out of there and turned it into a meditation room. So I go there in the morning, I have hot tea. I do a gratitude journal of three things I'm grateful for, three things I'm looking forward to to the day and uh, an, uh, an affirmation, a daily affirmation. And then in the evening, I reflect on my day in that same journal and I meditate again with the app Headspace. And so it has been completely transformative for me and my family. I am more present with my family, I'm cooking more, and I've just had a rebranding of myself since December and it's been really positive on my family and myself. You know that simple act of cutting out Starbucks just saved you $3,000 over the course of the year. I know. I did the math because I looked at, I had the app clarity and it showed me how much I spent in 2019. And I was like, and delete. <laughs> right. Yep. What, um, when you say meditate, are you talking in the morning, right? Cause mm -hmm. I, are you talking about, you know, an hour long transcendental meditation? Are you talking about a, a quick 10 minute meditation? Like, what does that mean for you? Yeah. Sometimes I think people hear it in different ways. Yeah, so um, there are courses in Headspace you can do. So right now I'm doing the happiness course, which is only 10 minutes a day. I just finished it yesterday. Cool. So um, yeah, because I, like I like to preface that. Thank you for asking that because I think people think it's like an hour long ordeal. It can be 10 minutes. It can be five. It can yep. be five people. And um, I like to do anywhere between 10 and 30. The one that I learned at the meditation retreat is 30 minutes. And so when I do make the time, and it's all about making the time that you prioritize. It's about prioritizing your life and it's about self-care. And I was not taking care of myself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. That's what I learned at this retreat. And the thing that also stuck with me is that I was spending most of my time living in the past tense and living in the future tense. And the only thing you can, the only thing you can control in present tense is your breath. And that is the only thing you can control. And that's why meditation is so imperative for me. And that's why I took up yoga as well. And so breathing is the only thing you can control in present tense. 
And that's why it's so important for me to live in present tense and live in the mind and live in breathing. So um, yeah, so that's what I took away from the retreat. And so sometimes I only get 10 minutes in, but only 10 minutes is better than nothing. Yep. Yep. So I want to, I want to pull us back into the business world a little bit. Yeah. Um, without sort of, you know, you know, coming in and, you know, you can't make other people do anything, but how do you try to affect your sales team this way? Right. How do you, you know, I've seen it work where you do talk a little bit about mindfulness with teams and you do talk a little bit about, um, you know, taking time for themselves and stuff like that. So as a sales manager, as a leader of seven people, uh, Mm -hmm. everybody's got their own life. Everybody's got their own bullshit. We've all got something. We've all got baggage. We've all got, you know, some of us have a lot of too much carry on baggage. Um, how do you, how do you coach your team to that? Like to, to try to at least be aware that they can come to you. I have a very, how do I say this? I let my team know what's going on with me. Um, they know about my mental health shit because it's out there on the internet. And um, they knew when I left for my, my meditation retreat that things were not going well. And I came back and I told them all about it. And they know that I see a therapist. They know that I do meditative yoga and I go to class sometimes during lunch. And I'm just very open. And I've, you know, sometimes they've come to me and they've asked about this meditation, meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. The people are coming to me openly, like, hey, tell me about that retreat. What was it like? Um, what did you learn? So it's an open environment where if people want to talk to me about it, I ask, you know, I tell them about it, but I don't proactively go to them and say, Hey, you should try this retreat, you know, but right. if they want to come, yeah, if they want to come to me and ask, I will tell them about it. Right. But, um, it's just, I think it's a good relationship. That's great. What are you noticing as trends in the SDR world? Right. Cause you oversee an SDR team, correct? I do. So what are you seeing in 2020 that was different in 2019 or 2018? Gosh, I feel like I'm a broken record with other SDR managers and leaders out there, but video, 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 video. We are trying video every day and our open rates and response rates are crushing it. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, do you only use video at the beginning of the pitch? Like is to, to get the meeting or do you use it throughout the, the cycle? Throughout the cycle. Yep. Because that's the part I've been reading about lately is that, hey, it's great to get the meeting, but what do you, so someone takes the meeting, what does your SDR turn around and say? Like, what are they doing another video or how does yeah, that if they miss If they miss a meeting, we'll send a video. Right. If they have a great meeting, they'll send what? a thank you. What does, it, what does the video say if you miss a meeting? We'll say, we'll hold up a sign and say, sorry, we missed you. And then we'll say, hey, check the times below. Do one of these times work for you better? And we'll book another. We'll book a meeting from that. I'm the I'm on the opposite side of this video debate because I can't stand receiving those videos, and I know that this flies against everybody's data. And maybe I'm an old curmudgeon or whatever, but I just I don't get it. I don't want to get 30 second videos from 500 SDRs. It's bad enough to get emails from 500 SDRs trying to pitch me something. So I have yet to be, I'm, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get flooded with fucking creative video messages now as somebody is going to try to prove me wrong. I have yet yeah, to get I mean, one that was like any good. I would get to get one that was any good that got my attention. 
we don't do them with every single lead that we get and we don't do them with every single white space account that we do. We, 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 um, we do them for selective ones, but. So, how, so what is the criteria of, by which somebody would be selected to be a good target for a video, you know, message? Yeah. So, um, if they raise their hand for a demo, they would get one. And if they, um, if they go and download something, they would get one. But if they're straight up just, um, you know, on our site, or if they are just cruising along and do something random, they're not going to get one. It's, it's really targeted. But I, I wonder if there's a way to be even more targeted. Like, let's say Richard and I both went to Citrix because we're looking for a solution. Okay. And Richard is super into all the video stuff. And, and I'm not but you there's no real way for you to know that yet is there or unless you find content out there where oh, Scott doesn't like video he's talking about it Richard loves it is that what you would encourage SDRs to do that is that's got to be part of their research right yeah. you can't like just if, be if I go, click on a demo if I went to Richard's LinkedIn and I saw that he had a bunch of videos on his LinkedIn page he'd be a hot target for me to send him a video if I went to your page and I saw no video on your page, I probably wouldn't send you a video. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction to make. That, that extra step, people should be smart about. about yeah. That. yeah. But I, I also think, I also think too, that, you know, Scott, you're, and I, I've been talking about this lately, is that we as sales leaders are the most sensitive to getting this stuff. Like, you know, and it's not to say, and it's not to say that marketing people are okay with it or IT people are okay with it, but because we see it and we teach it, it annoys us because we teach it in a, in a proper way. And so when we see it in a not proper way, you know, and Cringe. We, we either have two options. We have the option of either a giving some positive feedback of like, Hey, thanks for the video. I'm not your ICP or Hey, thanks for the video. Uh, I'd make this recommendation or not responding at all. Right. right. And so, so that's sort of how I see it. Now I will, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to suggest that I will pay anybody who can book a meeting with Scott Harris with, with Scott Lease off video. I'll give him a hundred bucks. Richard just okay. put, Richard just put gonna, a bounty on me. Can we all prospect you? Yeah. Everybody, everybody prospect me. Cause I don't right. get any prospecting messages at all. <laughs> everybody prospect me. Everybody send me videos. And if, and I will, I'll watch them. And if I, if I get one that is good, I will republish it. There you um, go. As a pot, there you go. There's the win. There's the win. Right. And Richard is going to pay that person a hundred dollars. I might take it up on this. Yeah. <laughs> now Lindsay's excluded. Lindsay's excluded. No, no, my uh, team. My team. team are going to hammer me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we're, we're sort of, we're, we're definitely at the end of the time. So Lindsay, we, we turn this around at, at the end of every one of our episodes and we sort of say, how can we help you? What can we do to help you? What can we do to help your team? Um, how can we be supportive to Lindsay and in, in your life and your career? Yeah. Tag me in posts that will help my SDR so that I can tag my SDRs. Okay. That would help me because I'm always trying to find posts that I can tag them in to show them what's hot and what they should be reading. Um, that's been really helpful. What kind of things do you think they should be reading? Because I think this is a great topic, just so we know what, if we're writing about it, that that's the post. Because I can tag you in anything, but, you know. Yeah, what kind of things they should be reading. I really, you know, I'm on the prowl right now trying to find some good podcasts. So 
that would be helpful if y'all can send me some good podcasts for them to be I'm listening. aware of one we know of one we only know of one good podcast sales podcast okay so <laughs> obviously right uh, okay podcast podcasts um and yeah that would be helpful um and i, I tag them in some stuff that i see on linkedin that i think is helpful but um that's really it you know, one 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 suggestion that i that i might make um i think when people first get into sales they they want to consume all this information and all this content and everybody comes at them with all of their favorite sales books and strategies of selling and all, all that kind of stuff um i actually think that there's a whole another level that has to happen first before that stuff can really even be absorbed i think it's important for people to start reading stories that um, are relatable to them and inspiring to them in some particular way and material that they just resonate with. One of the best pieces of advice that I got before I ever started reading and being a consumer of, you know, business kind of content was just go read something that you like and something that you know about. So go read like biographies, go read sports biographies. And that was like an easy entry for me into starting the process of, of reading. And then that moved to like studying coaching philosophies, different sports teams and championship teams and, and whatnot. And those paid a lot of dividends for me over the years. So one, one piece of advice might be to tell SDRs, you know, go read some things that are inspiring. Read about people who've changed their life. Read about people who are the best in their craft, whatever the craft is, irregardless of sales, irregardless of business. And I think that that, can start to open up people's mindsets where they're more receptive to this more tactical kind of sales and selling, um, you know, textbooks and, and things like that. That's a great piece of feedback. Thank you. Yeah. That's really good. That's awesome. like that. So, well, cool, Lindsay, I think we've reached the end of our time and you know, you've been mm -hmm. gracious with your time and your story and sharing a ton. So we really, really appreciate mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. And likewise, obviously, if we can ever do anything, please keep asking. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks Lindsay. Lindsay. Thanks. Bye.